it to the widow's mite. Uh, I know that was originally the plan last week. It didn't happen. Uh, I thought maybe we'd just do the first three words and we just keep splitting this sermon more and more, but we're just going to do the whole thing today, not chapter 21, but the whole widow's mite uh, situation today. So if you will, make your way over to Luke chapter 21. Um, and as you're doing that, I'll tell you about this. Uh, a few years back, I was reading this novel called The Goldfinch. Uh, it was interesting, not that I'd fully recommend it. Uh, anyway, one of the characters is trying to explain or compare his situation, what he's gone through, uh, to what he thinks is the story of the widow's might. Uh, and here's what he says. He says, I was thinking, couldn't help it, about the Bible story. You know, where the steward steals the widow's might, and then the steward flees to a far country and invests the might wisely and brings back a thousandfold cash to the widow he stole from. And with joy, she forgave him, and they killed the fatted calf, and they made merry. Yeah. Uh, the character he's responding to just says simply, flatly, um, I think that maybe that's not all the same story. Now, hopefully, by the time we get to the end of this today, if you're paying attention, um, you're going to know that story well enough to know why that's funny, right? Uh, that's not the story at all. Uh, and so then, uh, before we read, though, last thing I wanted to mention is that you've got a little coin, and I'll explain what that coin is to you later. It's, it's from the story, but I'll give you a little more information about it. Uh, if you didn't get one coming in, I've got some here. Stucky can hand them out if anybody needs one. So, does anyone need one? Back there, Sammy. So you can just raise your hand if you'd like one. You can take care of that. Uh, anyway, uh, the rest of you, let's uh, make our way to Luke 21 again, and we're going to read the first four verses here together. Jesus looked up, and he saw the rich putting their gifts into the offering box, and he saw a poor widow put in two small copper coins. And he said, truly, I tell you, tell you, this poor widow has put in more than all of them. For they all contributed out of their abundance, but she, out of her poverty, put in all she had to live on. The grass withers, the flower fades. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, as we come together to feast on your word this morning, please illuminate our minds to receive your word rightly, to love it, to want to be changed by it, uh, to believe it. And uh, we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So how many of you know who Jeff Bezos is? A few of you heard that name, right? Um, he's the owner of this little online bookstore, Amazon.com. Uh, they sell a few other things now. Um, his financial worth as of today, according to Google, if that can be trusted, uh, is $186 billion, with a B, billion. Now, in 2018, Bezos was praised by the media for giving away $131 million to charities. Uh, is that a lot of money? I mean, is it? it? It is a lot of money, right? $131 million. Uh, it is, absolutely, but, but it represented just 0.1% of his worth in 2018. Can you imagine being publicly praised for giving away not 1% of, of your income or your wealth, uh, but one-tenth of a single percent uh, of your income? Now, to put that in some sort of perspective, if, if you made $100,000, you would only need to give away $100 to, to hit that percentage point. Math majors, right? If you made $50,000, what, what would it be? On the fly, go. Just cut it in half. $50, right? Take the easy route, Stucky. Quit doing the math. 
kids eating ramen noodles, or, or college students that eat ramen noodles, I'll put this in terms for you as well. If you have $10, it's like donating one single penny, right? Even at that point, you can realize that's not a massive amount of money. Now, it is certainly better than nothing. It's not to like condemn giving away $131 million or even a penny, but, but is that generous? Would we call it generous? Now, I want us to consider that as we, we look to see what Jesus has to say in this story. And, and, and before we really dig in, remember this, set the setting, is this is the week of Passover that's going on, right? And so there's this massive amount of people that have traveled to Jerusalem, and they're all over in Jerusalem visiting this place and coming for worship. And, and some of the locals are certainly complaining about all the traffic and all the tourists, and others of them are just thankful because there's business is going up good. And, and so this is also the week, though, that um, that, that when these visiting Jews are bringing their gifts into, into the temple, the courts of the temple, uh, to make these donations, these offerings. And in one of the courts, uh, the Temple of Women, it's actually called, is, is these 13 offering things, uh, collection containers. They looked, uh, they called them like a, a trumpet because of their shape. We would think of them more as like a stereotypical flower vase where it had an opening at the top, got narrow, and then wide at the bottom to collect things. Uh, and, and uh, each container then was, was designated to something else. They weren't just 13 to make lines short. There were 13 different purposes. Nine of them were something that was required, okay? Almost like a tax uh, in, in the sense that they were supposed to give to these things certain amounts, and, and that went to the temple budget. It would pay for things like wood and incense and golden vessels and turtle doves and pigeons, the animals that were going to be used in sacrifices that someone would pay for later. Uh, the other four were these funds that were voluntarily given uh, to things like uh, lepers or for the poor, uh, things, things that there was no expectation that they gave, but they could just voluntarily do so. Now, it, it was easy to tell when someone gave a large portion because they're dealing in, in metal money, right, coins. And, and so it would have sounded like a, a slot machine hitting jackpot as you hear those, the rich people pouring their coins just ding, 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 uh, over and over again. And now, so Jesus sees the rich. Everyone can see the rich when they're giving a lot because it makes a lot of noise. And yet he draws his disciples' attentions not to this guy or that guy who's pouring in a ton, uh, but he draws their attention to this poor widow, this extremely impoverished widow, as she drops two small copper coins in, into these vase-shaped collection bins. Now, the coins that she is offering here were referred to at the time, or referred to in general, right? It's often called the widow's mite. Mite is just a word. It means something very small uh, of just about anything. Uh, but in the Greek here, Luke is using the coin's proper name. That's what you, you have in your hand, a lepta, right? The, that replica, if you've got it near you, it's not real. You can't spend it. Um, pretty sure Rodney bit it earlier trying to figure out what kind of metal it is. Don't know that we came to a conclusion. I don't think it's copper, though. Uh, but you can see it's a tiny little thing, uh, not much, right? If you considered inflation even, the value of each of these coins today would be just a little less than a dollar. That's what it'd be worth. So you, you think about what she's putting into that. Two small, little, little less than a dollar, right? She, she could almost buy two McDoubles at McDonald's uh, in our time. But, but you get the idea. It's not going to make any sort of massive, impressive dent in the budget of the temple. Um, Nothing of significance, right? And yet here is Jesus commending her simply because she is a beautiful example of, of what God-honoring sacrificial giving looks like. These two tiny coins are worth more to Jesus, right? That's the way he words it, because of how much it cost her to give this, to, uh, to donate this, to give this. 
And I know maybe, maybe some of the cynical people that, we, you know, we're all in this room, you start, well, what if, you know, I really, what, what if, it, you know, $2, that wouldn't have sustained her anyway. Didn't it? She could give it away. It didn't make a difference. Not like she was going to feed her for long. Uh, and, and yet, if that was the reason that she was so willing to give it away, Jesus wouldn't be here praising her. He wouldn't be here uh, pointing out, saying that she put in more than all of them. That's not what he'd be saying. So, you see, Jesus, though, isn't comparing what she gave with what others gave. That's not the comparison. That's what we like to do, but that's not what Jesus is doing. Jesus is comparing what each gave in relation to what each, by the grace of God, had in their possession. Now, Jesus says in verse 4 that the rich are giving out of their abundance, right? It's, it's easy to give, you, you know, when you have a whole lot of whatever it might be. Uh, you, you see this anyway. Give a children, you know, a child one cookie, she's probably not likely to share it. Give her 15 cookies, she's going to be a little more generous. It just becomes easier the more you have. Now, like the Bezos example earlier, he was praised for giving a large number. But how many of us gave more than one-tenth of a single percentage point of our wealth to support gospel ministry in this last year? You, you, could, you could do it and, and accidentally do it, right? I, maybe I did. I don't know. Like, it's not a whole lot if you're, if you're really thinking about these numbers. But, but the widow is in, in just absolute, complete abandon and sold out devotion to God and her love for God gave it all. Now, when I was first reading this, it, it led me to ask this, this first question, right? How, how was she able to do that? That's a, a big deal for her. We, remember we learned about widows last week. That they only have so much money to live on apart from the charity of others. Uh, that, that God works, you know, for her in sovereign ways. Uh, how did she do this? In other words, Lord, how can I develop this sort of heart that can so easily let go of money in the purpose of worship and evangelism and mercy? And two things became abundantly clear here. And the first one's this, that this poor widow believed the worship of God was a worthy cause to sacrifice her money to. She, she must have believed that to her absolute core to let go of those coins. And the second thing she believed, uh, she believed that God would provide for her needs even if she let go of those two coins. I think that's probably the more difficult of the two even, believing in that moment that God will provide some way for her. And we don't ever get to see how it goes, right? I can't tell you, look at scripture, he absolutely did, but, but from what we know about our Lord and the way he works, it's, it's easy to believe that that's the case. Now listen, I am not suggesting that you give every dime you have to our offering or to missions or anything like that. That's, that is not the application of this passage, right? She gave everything. You give everything you have. If anyone tells you that from a pulpit, walk out of that place real quick, okay? Um, now, some years ago, there was a, uh, one of our college students had this roommate uh, that was given rent money, I believe from his parents, uh, and he decided in, in a moment that he was going to give it to someone that was going on a mission trip. And so he gave away his rent money, and then he came back to his roommates, and he just expected, uh, I assumed you guys would cover me because I was doing something good with this money. That wasn't wise because it didn't consider keeping the responsibility you have to actually pay the bill that you know you have and the money's been provided for. Now, how we actually apply this, we'll get to in just a bit. But first... I, I want to make sure this is absolutely abundantly clear anytime we're talking about money that, that Scripture does not condemn money. It doesn't. A lot of us fall into that where we start to condemn money, but Scripture, God's Word, does not condemn money. Money is not evil, right? 
But like the guy in the goldfinch, people often misquote the scripture saying that money is the root of all, uh, of all kinds of evil, right? You ever heard it quoted just like that? Money is the root of all kinds of evil. But that is not what 1 Timothy 6.10 actually says there. It says, for the love of money. That's a really important little statement before there, right? For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evils. Now, when you look at the whole passage here, you get to see the fuller context of what's going on. Um, and, and this is what, what he says there. He says, but those who desire to be rich fall into temptation into a snare, into many senseless and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. It is through this craving that some have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many pains. Right? Or as Jesus puts it in Matthew 6.24, no one can serve two masters. And then a bit later, you cannot serve God and money. And so while money makes a ruinous master it is also a wonderful tool in the purposes of the Lord when put into the hands of his people. And so my, my hope this morning is that we will take a passage like this serious, not to just rotely try to uh, mimic the exact same thing she did in, in a percentage-wise, but that we take this serious and we would develop a, a heart for the Lord that, that blooms into generosity towards God's purposes, gospel purposes, right, and mercy needs, and in such a way that honors God and trust in the Lord. And, and so then before we go further in the application, I, I do want to take a moment and, and, and do this, say this, I absolutely commend the giving that has y'all, y'all have done in this community. Now, I, I never personally know what any individual gives that is on purpose. I don't want to know what you give. I, I don't want to ever have that sense of giving you any favoritism or not favoritism based on that, and I don't trust my own heart. So I don't know that, but I do know what is collectively given. There's an update every month, so we just know, you know, do we need to stop turning on the lights so we can afford this or what? Um, and, 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 we, and I will say this, this year, almost every one of my pastor's friends have seen going, giving go down, and a lot of that's people losing jobs, they, they, they're afraid for their future, things of that nature. Uh, and, and yet, in this year that has been a financial change or difficult uh, challenge uh, to many, our giving has actually gone up. Um, it, it blows me away. And, and that doesn't happen if two things don't happen. If God doesn't provide for you, and, and that doesn't happen if you don't continue to faithfully give, even in the midst of so much future uncertainty. And so, praise the Lord for that collectively, and, and thank you. Um, and so then, we, we do want to learn here, though, about a heart for generosity. And I, I really love that that happened. Just time out. It's not time out. I'll just keep going. Um, that it's worked that way because I don't want to preach this like, your giving's terrible. You need to give more. You know what I mean? It's nothing like that. Your giving is wonderful. Continue. Um, anyway, do notice here, though, that th- th- this doesn't give us a rote percentage to give at all. Nowhere in Scripture, right? And instead, it, it is teaching us to have an affectionate heart for God and a generous heart for giving. And, and that's what I want to flesh out for us this morning, and, and to do so by, by, by going into five ways that we, as God's people, are called to give. Uh, five aspects of that. And the first one is this. We, we are called to give humbly. When it comes to our wealth, our, our natural self wants to say something like this, right? And you never say it out loud because you know better, but you want to say, you know, I, I worked hard for this. I invested this. I was the one that was smart enough to do this. I, I'm the one who did all this work. It's mine. It's all mine because I earned it. But as Christians, we, we know better than that. 
We, we know that we must humbly acknowledge that all that we have, we have because the, the Lord has blessed us to have it. He's blessed us with the ability to work. He's blessed you with a mind that understands something that someone's willing to, to pay for. He's, he's blessed you in so many ways, and, and that's why you have what you have. Now, you'll find it a lot easier to be generous with God's money than it is to be with your own money. And this becomes an absolutely eye-opening idea when you realize, you know what, it's all God's money. It's a massive change of thought. I remember the first time I'd ever heard that. Uh, Anyway, uh, furthermore, to give humbly means we don't do it for the praise of others. Jesus in Matthew 6.3 said, uh, When you give to the needy, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing, so that your giving may be in secret. Right? It's this private thing sometimes. All the time is what he's saying. We, we, we don't give for public recognition. We, we give because there is a need that God has equipped us to meet, and we give because it glorifies God for us to do that. The, the second way we are called to give is gener- generously. You know, generosity is a willingness to, to let go of things, uh, good things like money, so that you can give it in the cause of love. Uh, love for God, love for neighbor. Now let's be honest, it's, it's not easy for most of us to relate to the poverty level of, of the widow here. And I think that becomes a bit of a problem for us, honestly, because you're looking at how she's giving and you're thinking, how do I even get my mind to the point of if I had $2 left, would, would I give that to the Lord? Should I give it to the Lord? That, that kind of coming from such poverty is difficult for the simple reason as this. We are rich and I know you don't, you don't feel that way. Uh, especially in college, you don't feel that way, right? If you're facing struggles to pay your bills, you're thinking, I'm not rich. I, I am struggling right now. But we are rich, right? We are some of the richest people in the history of the world. And, and I, it truly, I looked it up. And, and, and there is only 1% of the world's population ever, ever, who is wealthier than the average American. We, we have houses, we have phones, we, we have so much clothing and, and shoes, right? We have cars that have air conditioning in them. Um, so much that we just take for granted, and we don't even realize how rich we are. But listen, if, if you don't have to go out in your yard and dig a hole yourself to poop in, you are rich by world standards, and you don't even realize it. Rich. If you do that, that's weird. Let me know. We can take care of that. Now, because we are rich, I, I want to take a little scriptural field trip with you, right? Away from this passage to another one. Um, and, and so, if you will, this, this is where Paul is, is telling Timothy how to shepherd the rich. And so, go to 1 Timothy 6, uh, beginning in verse 17. 1 Timothy 6, 17. Um, get that in front of your eyes. And I'm going to read it, and then we're going to break it down just a, just a bit, the first portion of it for us. Now, listen as I read it. 1 Timothy 6, 17 and 19 or 1 Timothy, as Timothy Durrett uses the word. I think British do that. Anyway, First uh, Timothy six seventeen. As for the rich in this present age, charge them not to be haughty, nor to set their hopes on the uncertainty of riches, but on God, who richly provides us with everything to enjoy. They are to do, do good, to be rich in good works, to be generous and ready to share, thus storing up treasures for themselves as a foundation for the future so that they may take hold of that which is truly life. So again, he's addressing rich folks here. And he says, uh, he's telling Timothy, you tell those rich folks not to be haughty, okay? 
So I think that's what I'm supposed to tell you. Do not be haughty, okay? Uh, the word is not haughty. Uh, the word is haughty, H-A-U-G-H-T-Y. Uh, this is a word. Try to work it into your vocabulary this week, a sentence of some sort. Now, here's what it is. Haughty is a prideful arrogance. It is looking down on someone that you consider less than you, right? And the reason they would do so is because of their wealth, what they have, the power that comes with that, and so on. Now, don't think uh, you're all that just because you have wealth. That's what he's encouraging us towards. We rich then are, are supposed to do something else, right? To, to not set our hopes on the uncertainty of riches. Uh, we are not to set our hopes on our wealth because wealth well, one, it's not certainty even for the day-to-day. -day. Don't put your hope for tomorrow, even in this life now, in your wealth, you put it in the Lord. And furthermore, in the ultimate sense, in the larger sense, uh, your wealth cannot save your soul. Even if you had $186 billion, you could do a lot of fun things with that, but it will not forgive your sins, it will not redeem your soul. And so placing your hope in wealth is ultimately going to ruin you. Now, so far, all of this makes sense, right? This is how our brain tracks uh, right? So far, it's, it's right on with it, what we're thinking, right? Love for money is dangerous. Don't be prideful about your wealth. Don't trust in your wealth. Instead, set your hopes on the certainty of God. But then it takes a really weird turn right here, right? An unexpected one. Do you see what Paul says there at the very end of verse 17? Place your hope in God. And then it says, who richly provides us with everything to what? Who's got it there? To enjoy I've observed over the years, many of us have this, this sense of shame almost for enjoying things that aren't explicitly related to God. Like it's right to enjoy worshiping God and praying and reading the scriptures and, you know, serving someone if it's through a Christian organization. Uh, but there is this low-grade shame that seems to sneak in if we are enjoying things like a movie or like buying shoes that are more expensive than the shoes you really need. Um, that just seems to get in. But, but did you catch what the apostle says here? One reason that God has given you wealth and homes and everything else is for your enjoyment. God has provided it to you, so don't place your hopes in the gifts of God, the wealth that he's provided, but, but you should enjoy that wealth, those gifts. It is right for you to buy and enjoy taco lucha. It is right to, uh, to purchase the ingredients to make a decadent French silk pie. It's, it's not shameful if you go and buy a, a nice bicycle and enjoy riding. It is, it is proper if you go on vacation on the beach and, and you enjoy it and the money is, and it's paid for by the money that God has provided you with through the work he's provided you with. And so then the question arises, how do I enjoy what God has provided me with and still not place my hope in those things. And the answer is actually in this, this passage, right? The First Timothy passage. With, with your hope in Jesus, begin to ask yourself, what, what purpose might God have given me the wealth he's given me? Right? Besides buying nice shoes, that might be part of it. But, but why has he given me? What purpose, right? Or, or even if you're relatively poor, you need to be asking this question, what, what is God's reason for providing me with the wealth that I do have? And, and this 1 Timothy 6 passage tells us what to do with the wealth, right? First, uh, verse 17, and we've already kind of explored it, right? Enjoy it. Um, don't worry about your wealth. Don't obsess over obtaining more wealth. Don't make that what your life is about. Don't fear that somehow you're going to lose your wealth, um, but do enjoy it. And the second thing, right? As you can see in verse 18, use that wealth to do good. Have you ever stopped and, and just considered, what good can I do today? 
Even in the terms of wealth, right? I've got some extra money. What good can I do today? Dri- driving down the road, taking things in, and, and, and just look around and ask yourself, what good can I do today with all that the Lord has blessed me with? Why has God given you wealth to, to do good? The third thing here related to doing good is we are to be, as verse 18 says, to be rich in good works. Right? Not to earn salvation, not to retain or gain God's love for you, but let us seek to be rich in good works because it glorifies our God because He's called us for that. Now think of all the effort uh, that exists in our culture for, for learning how to gain more wealth or how to invest your wealth or all, all these things, right? Which are fine. I'm not condemning that at all. But, but how about we put some, some effort towards becoming rich in good works? What are ways I can, I can do more here? Fourth, uh, again, verse 18, we are to be generous and ready to share. That's Paul telling Timothy how to shepherd the rich, you and I, right? To be generous and ready to share. You, you want to know if you're enjoying God's provision in a God-honoring way, ask yourself, am, am I open-handed and generous with it? Am I? Joe Rigney, in his book, Strangely Bright, says, if wealth comes to us and we're enjoying it, but it's not spilling the banks and flooding the lives of others, then something has gone wrong in our souls. And again, he doesn't put a number on that. But is that something we're we're seeking to do? So yes, you know, enjoy iced coffee, enjoy heated seats in your car, Enjoy being able to pay your electric bill and the lights continuing to stay on, but, but also live with enough margin that you can, as we just read in 1 Timothy, be generous and ready to share. So then the third way that we are to shepherd our hearts in giving is to give freely and, and joyfully. In other words, don't give with that attitude that says, well, I guess I have to give this. You know, I had to, don't spend that dumbly, you know. Give generously, give freely, right? I, I won't tell you how much to give because in the Old Testament uh, there was a tithe, right? A, a tenth of the crops or the animals or, or whatever God provided. We've been over this before. I don't, we don't want a tenth of, of Bill's hay. Most of you aren't actually cropping or raising animals of any sort to bring. Uh, you see it other places though. Barnabas in Acts 4 sold a field and he gave all the proceeds to the apostles, all of it. Jesus instructed the rich young ruler to sell what? To sell everything. After coming to faith, we saw Zacchaeus back in Luke 19, right? Uh, He gave half of his wealth to the poor, was a part of that. This poor but devoted widow in our passage gives away 100% of what she has to live on. Now, understand this. It's it's not about the money for the Lord. It's about the heart of the giver. And, And so you must pray and discern what God would have you to give as we read, right? It's a little different context, but the general idea here sticks. Uh, 2 Corinthians 9, 7, each one must give as he has decided in his heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. Don't, don't rob the joy you have when you do give to someone in need or an organization that's doing gospel ministry or your church. Don't, don't rob yourself by just here. You know? Enjoy that. Enjoy being a part of that. Um, the fourth way we are to give is sacrificially. 
Now, I know we have a weird relationship with sacrificing, right, uh, as, as Christians today, sacrificing uh, an attempt to atone for your sin in any way. Don't do that. That's not good. Uh, and only Jesus can do that. You can't do it anyway. Sacrifice as an attempt to gain or retain God's love, not good again. Uh, it's foolish because you are united, or if you're united to Christ, you already have his love. Um, but sacrificing is not a bad thing. Uh, Hebrews 13, 16 says, Do not neglect to do good and to share what you have, for such sacrifices are pleasing to God. Sacrificial giving is going to look different for everyone and in every stage of life that you are in. What, you know, what it would look like for you or your family, right, to give sacrificially right now, that's a question to, to explore and, and, and look at and where you'd give it is another question. Um, now, but, but the question arises still, right? When have you had to sacrifice something in order to give to some gospel purpose? And then this can be a, a fun experience to do in, in any way as your family, right? Maybe it looks like cutting out one, one coffee a week and, and just adding up what that goes to, goes to and, and give it away. Uh, or maybe it's sitting out a lunch once a week or cancel Netflix for a couple months, uh, you know, and whatever you save on that, give to some gospel work or some mercy need that, that you know about. Um, you, you can get, you know, figure out what it looks like to just experience what a little bit of sacrifice might look like. Uh, the fifth and the final way for us to approach giving is to give of all that God has provided. Uh, Matt Chandler in his book, Creatures of the Word, uh, points out that when it comes to giving, our tendency is to narrow this definition to money and nothing but money. When instead, we, we ought to also consider how we give our time, our skills, our abilities in, in service to others. Even how we, we give our mental focus, right, our emotional capital to engage another person in, in, a gospel cause, in the gospel cause of our Lord. It's a, it's a mind, mindset that says, you know what, my, my weekends aren't mine. My abilities, they're, they're not mine any more than my money. My emotional capacity, it is not my own. These are the gifts of the Lord. These are gifts of the Lord to be stewarded well. Now, this does not mean you burn yourself out, right? That you give to others and never your family, never take a break, never rest. This, don't, don't go to that extreme with this, but, but also do not hoard these resources that you have been given, right? Now, let me give you a real-life example from this week. Our, our washing machine hasn't been cleaning our clothes for a few weeks. It made all the fun noises that, like it was, and then we realized when you look in there, nothing moved. Um, which means if we've been smelling weird, you know exactly why that is, because we haven't washed our clothes in like a month at this point. Uh, only we didn't realize this until this past Tuesday. Anyway, once we realized it was broken, couldn't be fixed, uh, Laura picked out a new machine that was going to be delivered in the afternoon, and so I come home, and I'm going to unhook the old one and move it outside, because uh, that, that I can do, I uh, thought I could do. Uh, and so I turn off the water valves, valves right in the wall, and that's supposed to make the water stop. And then I start unscrewing the hose from the back of the washing machine, and water is spraying out. And not just any water, like scolding hot water is spraying out of this thing. And I just think, well, it's just pressure built up. That's the depth of my knowledge here. Uh, it'll stop once I get it loose. Um, and it doesn't stop, right? I pop it off, and there's just hot water spraying everywhere. And I, I see the little drain pipe, and I stick it in there. And then if I try to walk away, it pops out of there because of the pressure. Um, and, and I'm turning the valve again, and the valve doesn't work. It's, it's broken. Uh, and so I end up just kinking the hose so it'll stop. But now I'm stuck next to this wall holding this hose, um, and my phone's over there. And so now I'm reaching across everything, doing this, trying to reach it. Uh, because at this point, I realize I need to call an adult somewhere who knows what's going on here and can help me. 
eventually, right, I kind of let go of it a little, let it leak, and then grab my phone, and I, I make a call to a man in our conversation who knows the kind of things that fathers should know. And I won't mention his name because um, he's not the type of person who wants his name mentioned in this, though. Um, anyway, I, I, I thought if I turned off the main water, this is how my brain thought, that the hot, because it's hot water, that whole tube or the whole bucket thing would just empty out before it stopped. Um, because it was already full of water, right? Now, I, I didn't know how it works. If you turn off the main water, the pressure stops, and it actually will stop the water flow. It worked just like that. So um, anyway, Laura walks in the door about that time. She goes, turns off the main water while I'm holding the hose. Uh, and then this generous man goes to uh, Home Depot, buys a new valve, comes over and installs it. Uh, and afterwards, we tried to pay him for this. Uh, and he says, my time isn't worth much now. Uh, and he was absolutely wrong in that. He used his knowledge, he used his money, his time, and he was generous with all of it. Now, now you might ask, but was it generous to God like the widow? Not exactly. Uh, not like the widow, but yeah, it was giving to God. And not because I'm, uh, I'm a pastor, right? It's, it's giving to God because he gave as though giving to the Lord, right? You think of Colossians 3.23, whatever you do, work as heartily as for the Lord and not for men. Now, I haven't asked him, but I, I'm willing to bet he didn't think, you know what, I am, I'm, I'm going to help out because that would be using my time and my money and my knowledge to serve the Lord. That's what I'm going to do in that moment. Uh, no, I, I imagine he's probably thinking something like, how is Brian 42 years old and doesn't know how water pressure works, was probably his first thought. Uh, and then eventually he thought, you know what, uh, somebody, here's something that needs help, someone needs help, and I can do that. Now, you, you think through that, right? No deep spiritual reasoning things, but it was spiritual. He's living out who he is in Christ by being generous, and because he is a Christian, it's generosity in the, in the name of the Lord. All that to say, I remember that wealth is more than money. It is. It is time and effort and talents and skills and tools, uh, uh, etc. There is, here's the thing, even if your bank account looks like Tiger Woods golf score, you, you know, God has still provided you in so many other ways so that you can be generous in the service of the Lord. So do you want to become more generous? I mean, is that something you desire to, to be? And, and if so, then, then seek the Lord in prayer and in the Scriptures. Fall in love with God with all of your heart. See how generous the Lord is to you. You see that. And the more you, you see who the Lord is, the more you fall in love with the Lord, then, then God-honoring generosity is going to follow. It just will. Let's pray. Lord God Almighty, as a church, as a covenant family, living in a world of insatiable desire, greed, and envy, please make us different. Make us a people who look to do good and always are ready to share what you have provided for us. Father, give us hearts that show our trust in you by willingly, joyfully, and generously giving of our wealth, time, possessions, skills, and abilities. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.